Uh, this last weekend, there was a fight, a boxing fight that was a pretty big deal. Some of you maybe heard of it. It was the fight of the decade. Some of you maybe watched it. A Mennonite, I'm too cheap to pay money to, to, to the pay-per-view fee. I just take out my binoculars and look through the neighbor's window. Is, is kind of how I roll. Uh, so I didn't watch the match. I saw the highlights afterward. You might be familiar with it. It was Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor. Highly anticipated. Um, Highly profitable for those two gentlemen. Uh, apparently, Floyd Mayweather's cut was about $100 million before profit sharing from the, uh, from the pay-per-view. So they figured about $250 million just to get punched in the face. <laughs> and the other guy was about $100 million or so, and uh, I thought, wow, that's a good gig. So if any of you have uh, an extra million sitting around and you wanted to punch me in the face... Come speak with me after the service, okay? <laughs> this is your opportunity. Um, but I kind of followed this, and they were hyping it up for, for weeks in advance. Uh, and, and they were making all of these appearances uh, before the media, different cities. And whenever you saw these fighter, you, fighters, you saw around them their, their group of people. What do we call it? Their, their entourage? What? Wherever they went, whatever they were doing, they were surrounded, I noticed, by the exact same group of people, their entourage. And so this is Floyd, Weathers, uh, Floyd Mayweather's entourage. Can you guess, guess which one's the boxer? <laughs> it's the little guy in the middle, believe it or not. He surrounds himself with bigger guys. Um, what's an entourage? Well, you probably know what an entourage is, right? It's it's, it's a group of people that surround someone and they're there to, to support that person, to serve their needs, to do whatever it is needs to be done. That's what an entourage is for. Is God in your entourage? Is God in your corner? Or is that even the right question? We'll come back to that. Last week, uh, Devin did a great job uh, in preaching from the book of Micah, a little passage there that referred to Jesus Christ as the breaker. Beautiful imagery, if you were here last week, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who goes before and breaks a hole in the wall and lets the captives free, makes a way to victory. Uh, and, and he talked about the different ways in which Jesus does that in our lives, and and as I was meditating on Devin's message last week, it, I, I was reminded of a story that I had read in the scriptures the previous week in the book of Joshua. I've been reading through the book of Joshua, and if you've ever read any of Joshua, you probably remember at least one story. Which is the story from Joshua that you remember? Right? The fall of Jericho, the conquering of the city of Jericho where God literally broke down the wall. Right? A real wall. And he brought it down and gave victory to his people. And so my mind went to this story that I had just, just read, um, that I've read many times, and it's one of the first stories a kid's going to learn in Sunday school, the story of Jericho, and it becomes very familiar to us. But as I was reading it again, something jumped out at me, something that I hadn't really seen or pondered on before, and it gave me pause you know, there are times when you read the scriptures where you come across something and you go, that's not what I thought it would say. What does that mean? 
And you have to pause and ponder on that. Something that doesn't sound right to our ears because it doesn't fit the paradigm that we have about our relationship with God. And when we come to those points in the scriptures, we better not just kind of brush it off and keep going because it's at those moments when, when we, we hear something that doesn't quite sound right that we gotta, we gotta listen because God maybe is wanting to correct a wrong paradigm, a wrong perspective of our relationship with him. And so that's what this was for me this week. Um, if you wanna follow along, I encourage you to turn to uh, chapter five of uh, the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter five, we're gonna begin in verse 13. Let me just set the scene here for you. God has led his people, the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness over many years and they find themselves now standing on the edge of the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River is the promised land. The land that hundreds of years before God had promised Abraham that he would give to his descendants, the people of Israel. Here they are, they're just the width of the river away. Joshua sends out a couple of spies, we're told, to go to the first city that they're going to encounter, the city of Jericho, the big fortified city of Jericho. And he sends a few spies on ahead to scout out the city so he can strategize his game plan. And so these spies go, they scout out the city, they make it back, they report. And then the day comes where the Lord parts the Jordan River and the people of Israel cross over into the promised land. What a moment that would have been for them. They entered the promised land and there they were on the other side of the river. The whole land before them. And that's where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter five, verse 13. We're told in verse 13, now when Joshua was near or at Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua is right at the walls of Jericho. He's right by the city. In other words, we're to understand that he's kind of left the camp and he's going and he's gonna check out the city. What is he doing? He's, he's strategizing, he's scouting, he's sizing up this place so that he can come up with a battle plan to take the city of Jericho. And so there he is all by himself, scouting and strategizing. And as he's doing that, he comes up to this man this imposing figure who had a sword in his hand. And Joshua asks what is the natural question of this man? Are you with us or are you with the enemy? Are you on our side or are you you on the other side? he asks of the man. Now to to understand the significance of that question and to understand the significance of the answer to that question, you have to know who this man is. Now at the outset, Joshua doesn't probably know who this man is that's standing there with a sword in his hand. But we get clues that lead us to conclude one thing, that this is no one other than God himself. This is what theologians call a theophany, the appearing of God in human form. I mean, I guess God can do whatever God wants to do. 
He can communicate however he wants to communicate. And at various points in the scriptures, in the Old Testament in particular, at times he shows up in human form to deliver a message. And there's a few reasons why we have to conclude that this is God himself. First of all, you see in verse 14, Joshua's response to this man when the man answers, we're told is that Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, in worship. Joshua's, and, and what you don't find is this man going, oh, hold on here, oh, you think I'm God, how nice. No, 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 I'm just an angel. I'm just a really powerful angel in the army of God. I mean, that happens in the book of Revelation when John falls down before what he thinks is God and he says, I'm not God, don't worship me. But, but, but this figure, this man with the sword, he doesn't do that. He accepts the worship of Joshua, the worship that belongs to God alone. Secondly, in verse 15, it says that this man replies to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place on which you are standing is holy. And when you hear that, what do you think of? You think of the burning bush. Right? You think of that time when Moses encountered the very presence of God in the burning bush and God says to Moses, this ground is holy, take off your sandals. Why? Because the presence of God makes that place holy. Right? It's the presence of God that makes it holy. This place is holy ground because the presence of God is here. And then lastly, as this man continues to speak, when you move uh, in the next verse into chapter six of Joshua, it, it calls him the Lord. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua. The name for Lord is, 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 is the word Yahweh. It's a word that's only used for the God of Israel, okay? So all of a sudden, as this man continues to speak, he's called the Lord. So for all of these reasons, we have to conclude that this man with a sword in his hand is none other than God himself coming to Joshua. We have to understand that to understand the dialogue, what's happening here. Joshua essentially asks God then, whose side are you on? Are you with us or are you with the enemy? Are you for us or are you for our adversary? And how does God answer? Well, my Bible says he says neither. Now, yours might say no, which is the better translation because the answer to this question is not really an, an answer to, uh, the, a proper answer to the question. It's not a yes or no question. Are you on our side or are you on their side? No. Would you like chicken or would you like steak? Nope. Ah, <laughs> oh, cute, is, is, is that a boy or a girl? No. It's like, you know, it's just, there's some questions, they're, 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 they're not yes or no questions. And this is one of those questions that is not a yes or no question and yet God answers it with a no. Which is strange. Something is up here. What is the meaning of this answer? No. I think what God is saying is, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're, you're coming at this backwards, buddy. He's challenging Joshua's perspective of his relationship with God, and he's saying it's, it's, it's not the right question. You have a wrong 
paradigm you're working with here? What answer would you have expected God to give? If you were, if you were Joshua and you found out this was God, or if you were in his shoes, like what, what would you ex- have expected God to say? I would have expected him to say, well, I'm on your side. Like, I, after all, I am called the God of Israel. I, of course, I'm on Israel's side. Right? That's what I would have expected God to say. I think that's probably what Joshua would have expected God to say, but that's not what God says. He says, no, I'm not on your side, and I'm not on their side. Which, which is maybe perplexing for us because we have these verses that we, we love to take and we make artwork out of them, which is great. They're great verses. They're God's words. And, and we put them on our Facebook page and they're really encouraging. And, and one of them we find at the beginning of the book of Joshua. It's maybe if you only know one verse in the book of Joshua, it's probably this verse you have memorized, Joshua 1.9. Can anybody recite it? Anyone brave enough to recite Joshua 1.9? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You heard that before? In fact, I think next Sunday there's gonna be some artwork on the wall in the foyer and I've got a sneak peek. It looks great. A few different Bible verses and I'm pretty sure one of them is this verse where God says right at the beginning before they're gonna go into the land, God says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, for I, your Lord, will go with you wherever you go. They go, "Mm, that's nice, I like that, I like that, I'm gonna put that on the wall. So when you hear that, it's maybe strange now that you come to Joshua five and, and Joshua says, so whose side are you on? And God says, no. You know, we, we like those verses, that God, we like the idea of God going with us wherever we go. And you know, a lot of people hear that and a lot of us will realize, boy, wouldn't it be better to have God in your life than to not have him in your life? Uh, wouldn't it be nice to have God go with you and when you need help to help you along the way? Why wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't it be nice for God to be in your entourage? And so we pray prayers and use words like, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be with me. It's a good prayer, but what does it, what does it mean? Come into my life and, and be with me. And sometimes I, I think that we have misunderstood what God means when he says, I will be with you wherever you go. And, and, and we have this picture that maybe like God is in our back pocket. And wherever we go, he just, he comes with us and he trails behind us, right? So just, why don't you come up here? Yep, you're gonna play the role of God. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't suit you, but, it doesn't suit you, but. It's a joke, guys. Let's talk after, okay? Okay. Anyway, so here, you play God. Just put your hand in my pocket. Yeah, it means you gotta touch my butt. I get it. Just put your hand on. <laughs> I'm gonna remember this. 
no, you're not, not one finger. Put your whole hand in the, yeah, put your hand in my pocket. Okay. So, so uh, okay, that's weirding me out now. You're just, what? not that much, not that much. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, so I think this is, this is the, this is the view we have of God. God would, I, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be with me. She's pretty. Wouldn't mind her, could you? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. Ooh, look at that. I like that. That's a nice car. I think that's a nice car. Yeah? Could you, could you help me out there? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Cancer. Cancer. God, you heard that, right? You're going to do something about that, right? Yeah. Okay, get out. <laughs> Uh, you feel dirty, I know. But uh, maybe that's just a visual, visual representation of how we think it works. We go, we're at he's attached to us because we've invited him to be in our life, in, in our entourage. And so where we go, he follows behind us. In other words, he's on our side. He's always there for us when we need him ready to help us. And God says, no. No. I'm not on your side. We try to marshal God to support us, to take up our cause, um, to bless our agenda, to provide our wants and needs, and God says, no. God says, I have not come to take sides. I have come to take charge. And if you're a person that likes to write things, that's what I would write. You've misunderstood. I have not come to take sides. I have come to take charge in your life. Isn't that what he says? No. He doesn't just say no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Isn't that interesting? Who was commander of the army? Well, Joshua thought he was commander of the army. And God says, no, the commander has arrived. Here Joshua is strategizing, coming up with his game plan when he stumbles across God and God says, no, now the commander of the army has arrived. In other words, he says the question Joshua and the, and, 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 is not, am I on your side or on someone else's side? The question is, are you on my side? Am I your commander? God is saying, Joshua, it's not for you to claim God's allegiance for your cause, but, but rather that you need to acknowledge my claim on you fully, my claim on you for my purposes, and God says the same to us. I'm not here just to come behind you and to bless your agenda and to support your causes. I invite you to come and be on my side and be under my rule. 
Let me take charge of your life. God is not someone to get on your side. He's someone to whom you surrender. He's saying, surrender. And sometimes, I think very often, we can get that backwards. But God is looking and is always only looking to take charge of the situation. So are you saying to God, are you saying to Jesus, come follow me? I wonder, I wonder if in our lives, maybe that's what you're saying. Jesus, come follow me. I want you to be with me. I really want you to go with me where I go. I think you could help. Or do we hear the words of Jesus who says, come follow me. Come behind me. I'm not going to stick my hand in your back pocket, but here's my back pocket, okay? Put your hand there and hold on. And follow after me. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow after me. That's the invitation of Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and follow after me. That's not a pretty word, is it? Deny? What do you hear when you hear the word deny? You, you, you picture, what, what does he mean? Deny yourself. Is, is he talking about just drinking water and eating bread and living in a cave and sleeping on a hard piece of plywood and denying yourself? Cheering for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? <laughs> Your life? That's a, that's a sad way to live. It's a sad way to live. That's not what Jesus means. What he means when he says deny yourself is that you would... Let God take charge. Right? It means giving up command of your life to Christ. The only way to follow me is by giving up command. And then following after me. He's saying, I, I'm asking you for unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. And what does Joshua do? He does just that. Verse 14, after God says, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. It says Joshua fell face down on the ground in worship and he asked him, what has the Lord to say to his servant? You hear the shift? Now he's asking the right question. See, the first question was, whose side are you on? My side or that side? But the question quickly becomes the one it should be, what has the Lord to say to his servant? It's gone from sides to servant. And that's the right question. That's the expression of submission. That's the expression of surrender. Now those words are not pretty words, surrender, submission. And we associate kind of, we don't associate positive outcomes with those words. Those are words of defeat. But what this shows us is, is that's not the case at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Surrender and submission to God is not the way to defeat, the result of, of defeat. It's the key to victory. It's the key to success. Surrender to God is the key to success. 
After Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after me, then he says, whoever would lose his life will find it. And whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. What he's saying is surrender to me, allowing me to take full charge of your life is the key to success. Going back to that verse that many of us know and have memorized, Joshua 1.9, the one that sounds so nice, where God promises to go with us wherever we go. We know he's not talking about putting his hand in our back pocket and trailing behind us. Because let's put that verse in context. Let's read the whole chunk. Verse seven, be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on a day and night so that you may, may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What is he saying? He's saying surrender yourself. Give me full charge of your life. Obey my word, follow after me unconditionally and I will lead you to victory, to success, to prosperity in your life. Surrender to God is the key to success and this is what we see in the story with Joshua because right after he lays himself down in surrender and he says to God, I'm your servant. What is it that you wanna say to your servant? As soon as he comes to that point of surrender, to God, God speaks. And he gives him instructions and he says, the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Yeah, this is gonna sound counterintuitive, Joshua. This is not how you would strategize for this but follow after me. I will bring you the victory. And you know how the story ends probably. The people of Israel follow the command of God and they march around the city and they blow their trumpets and then at that appointed time, God brings down the walls and he wins the victory for his people. But what did it take? It took surrender before they could have success and victory. Surrender to God is the greatest thing that you can do. It is the key to true freedom and joy and peace, prosperity in mind and in soul. When we surrender, then we can fully follow after God unconditionally and allow God to go before us and to clear the way and to fight the battles and to secure the victory. But before that can happen, there needs to be surrender unconditionally. So my question for all of us here this morning is, how are you approaching God? Because there's more more than one way to approach God we see here. How are you approaching God Are you looking for him to take sides? To follow after you? 
to be your helper when you need help to accomplish your goals? Or are you looking to God to take charge in your life? What is it? How are you? In other words, who wears the pants in the relationship? You ever heard that phrase? Yeah? Guys, maybe your buddies have asked you that before, once or twice. And, and essentially, it's not who wears the pants in the relationship. It's, it, it, in this context, it's who wears the shoes in the relationship. Right? As an act of surrender, he, Joshua falls on his face in worship and he takes off his shoes. And it's a way of saying, you're in charge. Right? You're in charge. I'm shoeless. So, who wears the shoes in your relationship with God? Are you asking him to take your side or have you given him charge in your life? What do you need to surrender to him this morning? For some of you, it might mean that you need to, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. The invitation of God is there to come follow after me. Repent of your sins, trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of salvation and eternal life and so many other blessings, but you need to deny yourself and give me charge of your life. You need to surrender so that I can do that, so that you can actually follow after me and I can lead you to those places. And, and maybe you've heard that, but you haven't done that. Maybe, but you're here, so maybe you've just invited Jesus into your life a little bit because that's the approach you've been taking. It would be nice to have a little bit of God in my life. Boy, the spirits a little bit. Right? When really what he's asking for is total, unconditional surrender. So maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you've never done that. Put it all out there before God and said, I am totally yours. I take off my shoes. I am your servant. What message do you have for me? I'm all in. And if that's you this morning, surrender today. What stops you from giving all of yourself to God today? It's the key to victory. Maybe, maybe you've done that and you've been walking with the Lord for a while and got a spiritual life, but, but there's some part of your life that's unsurrendered. There's some part of your life where you've been living as if God takes sides instead of taking charge. And this morning, you have a choice to make. Are you going to surrender that? Are you going to lay that down? And allow God to take charge. Is there something you need to surrender here this morning to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Think on that.